Good morning. You know, I, uh, I've been to my fair share of Christmas shows at churches through the years. And uh, I have to say, this is the best one I've ever been to. I'm serious. And I, I don't just say that to all the churches. I mean, you start out and, of course, you have Carlos Santana over here playing guitar. I mean... That's that. This guy's world class. I mean, really a fantastic job. And and Pete, I think, was kind of the brains behind the whole thing uh, musically and just the whistler. Whoever was doing the whistling was really fantastic. The whistler. I say that's the best whistling I've ever heard. And I'm I don't just throw that at that around anywhere, but a really fantastic job. Um, just uh, so many people using their gifts and. Uh, just, you know, I, I really think it's the best. I was moved. I mean, the video, that was undersold and over-delivered. That was not just a cute video. That was an amazing, moving, funny, just, you know, crazy good. I don't know how they did that, but, uh, but that was really fantastic. I want to find out where I could get a copy of that because I have a, a Christmas show to put on next week in Atlanta. So, uh, patent pending... You know, maybe not, but uh, but it is so great to be here with uh, with Marty and Chris and Reese and Mary Kay and Raphael and Griselda. Just uh, you guys are a lucky church right here. And, you know, I mean, lucky, I guess the Bible word is is blessed, but you're also lucky. I mean, you have a great group of leaders here and uh, just from what I can tell, just a great congregation. And I am so thankful to be able to be here with you today and to uh, to share a, a few moments, you know, uh, I have a spiritual gift that I want to share with you today. And, uh, you know, like we've already seen a lot of spiritual gifts shared, like the guitar playing and the super awesome whistling and all the singing and the people that made the video. I mean, people are sharing their gifts. And the Bible says you can have a gift for uh, contributing to the needs of others. You can have a gift for being encouraging. You You can have a gift for prophesying. And I don't really have any of those gifts, but I do have a gift for I have a spiritual gift of brevity. Yeah, that is always a crowd pleaser. I can get in there and say some stuff and get out quickly. Now, I will say this. A lot of you, I'm guessing, don't have that gift. Because I know back in Atlanta, I get with people all the time and they just talk and talk and talk and talk. I mean, we'll go to a restaurant, we'll order the food and, you know, I'll say, you know, how are you? And they start talking and talking and talking. And the waitress brings the food and I'm just listening. And so I start eating and I finish and they're talking and talking and talking. And I'm like, you know, like, what's up, whatever. And, you know, they, they bring the check and, and I pay the bill. And the um, person's still talking. So I think a lot of us don't have the gift of brevity. I, however, do. So you should be pretty fired up because I've got the microphone right now. But I also, uh, the name of the lesson I guess today is going to be three words that will change your life. It's kind of presumptuous. I, I hear that. But, I mean, you be the judge. At the end of this thing, you tell me three. Well, really, it's not three words. It's more like six words that are going to change your life twice. Okay? But that's... But that's a bargain by anybody's standard. Hello, look at all the people over here. Hi. Man, it's great to be here. Six words that will change your life twice. The first three words I want to give you that will change your life, just kind of a, just an appetizer, sort of. And uh, it's like if you have children, you know, sometimes children can be a challenge. 
Right? Children can be tough. In fact, if you're not a parent, I would really encourage you to reconsider ever becoming a parent. Because children can wear you out. They're way harder than puppies. Way harder. Children can really be difficult sometimes. And so I'm going to give you three words that will help improve your relationship with your children. Right? That would be a good thing. Okay, if you're... uh, if your kid, and you know, it's like, it's mostly teenagers, but I'm kind of thinking in California, all kids are like teenagers. I was talking to a four-year-old before services, and they were like, you know, dude, listen, just chill. And, uh, you know, we were on the 105, and we, we got off of Mulholland, and then, you know, took a ride at the Starbucks, and then, you know, caught the Cucamonga Valley Ranch Canyon Drive, and, caught, and I was just, this is a four-year-old? What's happening here? So I think in California, in Atlanta, a four-year-old is a four-year-old. In California, a four-year-old is like a dude. You know, just, I'm, I'm a dude. And uh, so three words to improve your children's uh, relationship with you. Number one, if your child comes up to you, if your teen comes up to you and they say something positive, here's what you say. Cool. Cool. Yeah, you should seriously write that down. Because the temptation is you're going to want to say more than just cool. You're going to want to add on as is a parent's thing. And that's what ruins it. So when, you're, when your kid comes out and says, oh, oh, mommy, guess what? Susie got accepted to Stanford. You say, cool. Because if you say, Susie got accepted to Stanford, and you say, cool, she was always such a good student. Then what you get is, Oh, fine. You always like Susie better than me. You're the worst mother in the world. I hate you. And run out of the room. Does that ever happen to you? Shake your head this way. Yes, it has. So just cool. Just cool. Now, if you have a kid that's, you know, in their teenage years and they're trying to find themselves, you know, they're traveling through Thailand right now trying to find themselves, which is actually code for smoke weed in Thailand. That's, I mean, we all know that's what it means, right? And so the kid texts you and he says, hey, mom, you'll never guess what happened. I met this really cool girl here. And, uh, you know, it turns out she was raised in the church in Kansas and hasn't been going to church. But we're, you know, I really like her and we're going to go check out the church in Bangkok tomorrow. Here's what you text back. Cool. You're going to be tempted to do a lot more, but just cool. No caps, C-O-O-L, no K-E-W-L-Q-L. No emojis. No smiley face, praying hands, party hat. Nothing like that. Just cool. If you say anything more than cool, you're going to blow it. Now, if your kid comes to you and they say something negative, what do you say? One word. Bummer. Bummer. You know, because if you do anything more than that, you're going to mess it up. Oh, Mommy, Susie didn't get accepted to Stanford. Bummer. You know, she never was that good a student. You hate all my friends. You're the worst mother in the world. I hate you. And she's out. Just bummer. Bummer is safe. Now, what happens if your kid comes to you and they say something that you're not sure if it's positive or negative? Because that happens a lot. They say something, you're not sure it's positive or negative, then you just go, wow. Okay, all right? So we got it? Cool, bummer, wow. Your life changed? 
All right. That's the first, that's the first three words that change your life. In an economy of time, six minutes, minutes to change your life. It's not too shabby. It's pretty good. Cool. Look in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And I got three more words. You know, preaching is hard. It is. Preaching's hard, and if I'm being honest, the reason why it's hard is, is you. I mean, if I'm being honest, because to think about it, each one of us today has walked in here, and we all have our different set of stuff. We all have our different issues. The truth is, some of us walked in today, and we are doing great. We're calm. We're happy. We're relaxed. Everything is good in our lives. We're great. And if that's you today, just know we all resent you quite a bit. Some of us walk in today, and we're kind of in a spiritual fog. You know, just kind of like, do I still really believe this? I'm kind of, I've kind of lost my place in Christianity. I, do I really believe? You're just kind of in a spiritual fog. Other people are at the end of their rope today. And you're sort of like, you know, I don't know. If I don't get a sign from God today, I may just give up and walk away from it and never come back. There's people in here like that today. There's other people that are in serious pain today. You know, and and not just spiritual pain, but chronic physical pain. You're two Percocets in already at 10 o'clock, and it hadn't even touched your back pain. So you're sitting in the pew, and you're like, yeah, cool, bummer. Wow, but my back is killing me. It's hard to listen. So preaching's hard because there's a lot of different needs, a lot of different people. And then somebody hands you a mic, and they say, hey, do something. That's hard. It's a good thing we have the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season, out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine instead... To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. He says, in the presence of God, he says, let's give this some context here. Paul is writing to the young evangelist, Timothy, and he's in Ephesus, big city. And he says, I want you to, to understand, I'm going to tell you something really important here. He says, and we're in the presence of God. So try to imagine that right now. We are not just in Pasadena, Glendale. Glendale. We're not just in, in Glendale. We're in the presence of God. And I think we all can agree on that. God is here. God is watching. God is looking. He says, we're in the presence of God. And Christ Jesus. Jesus is here. His spirit is right here in the room, floating around, inside of us, outside of us, all over. He says, let's bring also the judgment into it. He says, one day the living and the dead are going to be judged. So we've got God is here. Jesus is here. We've got the judgment that we've got to think about because the Bible says one day we all will stand before the the judgment seat of God. And we're going to have to give an account. We're going to have to give a reckoning for what we've done while we've been on this earth. That's a serious Tone-setting phrase. Judge the living and the dead. 
and in a, pure, in a view of his appearing and his kingdom. He says also, Jesus is going to come back soon. Second coming, rapture, the whole deal, and his kingdom. I mean, the whole encapsulating arena of God is right here, right now. And he said, I want you to listen up. He says, what you got to do is you got to preach the word. Preach the word. Now, who's supposed to preach the word? Is it just the preacher, the guy with the mic? No, it's every one of us. We all preach the word. What, is it, what does that even mean, to preach the word? It means to introduce people to the Bible, to God, and to God's people. That's what it means. We do that. That's what we're about as Christians. We're trying to let people know about God. If you haven't noticed, people are hurting. People are needy. We are supposed to preach the word to them. And he says, uh, he says I want you to do th- three things there. Preach the word. I've got three words here. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke, and encourage. So you got cool, you got bummer, you got wow. Now you got correct, rebuke, and encourage. I believe if you will approach every interaction that you have with everybody you meet and do one of those three things, you're going to have an amazing life. Sometimes you need to correct. I find that correcting people, I think I do that about 4% of the time. And, you know, it's just science. Rebuke people, I do that about 1% of the time. I don't rebuke people nearly as much as I used to. But encourage people, I find that I do that about 95% of the time. So if that's your default setting, encourage, you're going to have an amazing life, and you're going to be a blessing, and you're going to be preaching the Word to everybody around you. If you decided, what can I do today to encourage everybody I come in contact with? What can I do today to encourage my husband? Instead of yelling at him on the way to church. I didn't want Dunkin' Donuts. I wanted Starbucks. You know, figure out what you can do to encourage. You know, because the truth is, science tells us that at least 10% of the people had a big fight in the car on the way to church today. So just, just you know, revel in that. Just breathe that in. Let that wash over you. And if you did, you can get over that argument in a hurry. I think it was Marty and Chris actually had the biggest one, but I'm not sure. But... What can I do to encourage my husband? What can I do to encourage my wife? What can I do to encourage my kids? Instead of correcting, instead of rebuking all the time, what can I do to encourage my kids? And all the kids said, Amen. Thank you. You would quickly become the most popular person in the church if that's all you decided to do was encourage everybody. Somebody walks up, Hey, brother, how you doing? You look super today. In fact, you could do this. All you have to do to encourage people is just say the magic words, Are you losing weight? Are you losing weight? I mean, every person you met today, if you had been doing that already today, you would have like a bunch of people sitting around you. You're my best friend. I love you. You're my bestie. Bro, you you lose weight. Even if the person really has chunked up and see the way guys handle this, the way guys handle this is if a brother looks like he's, you know, really packing it on, other brothers walk up and they'll say, bro, you look awesome. You've been lifting. You look, you look swole, man. You look good. Now, I don't, I wouldn't suggest doing that with the women ever. You've been lifting? No, that doesn't really work. But if you just said, have you been losing weight? They, when somebody says that to you, that's encouraging. Well, I, I don't think so, but maybe. What can you do 
to encourage people. I think we've, wor- we've neutered the word encouragement. Encouragement is kind of a weak sort of word. Yeah, I want you to be encouraged. You know, you have to have something good happen. You have to be encouraged. We've kind of neutered it. The word encourage is a strong word. It's got courage in it. It's got bravery. I mean, the word encouragement is a strong, hairy-chested word. It's strong. We have got to encourage. We've got to put courage into people. And the reason we need to encourage and need to be encouraged is because we're tested all the time and we're afraid of stuff. You know, fear is a terrible way to live, isn't it? When you're afraid of something, that is a bad place to be in. And we need to encourage people. We need to put courage into people. We get tested financially. Anybody being tested financially right now? Oh, I don't know why I would be just with Christmas coming up and me having to buy a bunch of extra presents for people. Why would I have a problem financially? We get tested financially. You get tested financially. It's hard to be happy. I mean, if you've got financial problems, the rest of the world is sleeping. And at 3 a.m., you know what you're doing? You're sitting in your bed. You're wide awake. Somebody, like somebody poured a bucket of cold water on you. You couldn't sleep. If your life depended on it because you got issues, you got financial problems, you got worries, you don't know how you're going to pay this bill. And, you know, I've heard it said, mo' money, mo' problems. Really? I think it's no money, mo' problems. I got no money, I got no prospects for money. Now, that's problems. You give me a bunch of money, I'll handle the problems the way I feel about it. But we get tested financially. You know, we get tested physically. You know, you guys are young. I I don't know if you know that, but you're young. You're really young. But we still get tested physically. Let's say you got the money part of your life on right. You got your money worked out. You docked your yacht over at Santa Monica. Then you hopped in your Rolls Royce Phantom and you're driving home. Got the top down, playing those tunes. Then you get a call on your Bluetooth. I mean, you've got your money wired right. You get a call from your doctor. He says, Mr. Sapp, we, uh, we found some irregularities in your lab work. We found some inconsistencies in your tests. We found some abnormalities in your CAT scan. You need to come in and see me. We need to schedule surgery for you. All that money, that yacht, that phantom Rolls Royce, those things just sprout wings. They just fly away. They gone. And it's just a dude who got bad news from the doctor. That's all it is. And if that happens to you, pray to God that you have some people with you that will encourage you. I don't know how people go through cancer and difficult situations physically, and they got nobody. They got nobody. Pray to God that you've got people because we need encouragement. We're tested in our money. We're tested in our, our physical selves. We're tested with our kids. Again, reconsider if you don't have children. It's just they're a, they can be a grievous evil. Um, and, and I will tell you this, too. Spiritually, there is nothing that will cripple a Christian quicker. That's hard to say. Cripple a Christian quicker than if one of your kids is struggling. I mean, you could be doing great. And then you find out one of your kids is struggling. And by the way, there's a spiritual rule that if you have three children, at least one of them has to be doing bad at one time. 
They cannot all three be doing good at the same time. You probably noticed this. Occasionally, there will be five minutes where all three of them might be doing well. But that's, that's like a unicorn. You just don't see that very much. And a parent is only as happy as their unhappiest child. You feel that? That stuff is real. I mean, your life can be amazing. But you got one little doofus kid that's struggling. He's in Thailand, man. He's in Thailand. And you are hurting. You're not happy. You know, the Bible tells us, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, raise a child up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Just got to trust the process. You know, your kid does good spiritually. Good for you. Good for them. Your kid does bad spiritually. Learn what you need to learn from the mistakes you made. But it's not your fault. It's their fault. If they don't want to be a Christian right now, they don't want to be with God. There ain't nothing you can do about it. In fact, you better you better double down on cool bummer. Wow, because anything you say is going to go the opposite way to trying to help them out. So encourage do that. Ninety five percent of the time. And you're going to find yourself in good shape. Second word, rebuke. A rebuke is a sharp disapproval or criticism. And again, I think I do that 1% of the time. How much do you do it? Occasionally I do it. Every once in a while. How often do you do it with your teenage son? Well, but he's my teenage son. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to rebuke all the time. You know, there's some people in the fellowship, never mind parents, there's some people in the fellowship that that's what they like to do all the time. They like to rebuke. They see you coming, you got your shoe untied. You're going to hear about it. Brother! And you know what we do? We see them come, we go the other way. You don't want to see, but you know, if all you got is a hammer, everything's a nail, right? So if that's your basic mode, you need to change that. Nobody wants to be around somebody that's going to rebuke them all the time. Nobody. Do it 1% of the time. Do it once a quarter. Work on encouraging the rest of the time. You know, I don't, uh, I don't rebuke much anymore, so when should you rebuke? Because there is a time and a place for it. When should you rebuke? You should rebuke somebody when you're standing there talking to them, and inside you're saying to yourself, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life, what you're saying right now. You have those conversations, right? You're talking with somebody, and they're just talking some nonsense, and you say to yourself, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What do you look like on the outside when you're thinking? You look like, you don't let on. But inside, when somebody's saying something that's really unspiritual, really stupid, going down a wrong path, that's when you need to rebuke. You talk to a guy and he says, uh, says, yeah, you know, I went on a business trip a couple of weeks ago and uh, we went to Chicago and a colleague of mine and we really closed a big deal. And my colleague, you know, she's very attractive and she, uh, uh, you know, she's recently divorced and we closed this big deal. Man, we were, the endorphins were just high. And so, you know, that night we went down to the hotel, uh, you know, going to have dinner and then come back the next day. And, you know, then we went in the bar and had a drink or two. And we just got to talking. And we were so excited. And then, you know, there was this one point where our eyes just locked. And sparks just... And she was like, what was that? And you were like, I don't know. Thank you. But nothing happened. We are fine. But, you know, in two weeks, we got to go back and do it again. You know, we got another deal we got to close. So that's what I'm going to do. Brother, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's when you need to rebuke somebody. 
And you don't just do it based on your opinion. You do it based on the word of God. You use the, you preach the word of God to help people. And you might pull out a scripture like Proverbs chapter 15. And it says, drink water. Now, I'm going to read the Bible. Okay? If you have a problem with that or you don't want your children to hear the Bible, okay, take them out now or whatever. But I'm going to read the Bible. That's what I do. Believe me, they've heard a lot more than this on their Twitter feed before church this morning. Proverbs chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May, the fountain, may your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. That's how you rebuke somebody. With the word of God. And you tell that brother, you say, listen, if you go back in two weeks, I can't stop you. But if you do it, you're going to fall into sin with that woman. And then six months from now, you are going to be divorced. You're going to be living in a crummy apartment. You're going to be seeing your kids every other weekend. And you're going to be looking for a new job. That's what it means to rebuke somebody. You stand in the way of them making a huge mistake. That's what you do to rebuke somebody. So you tell them, you look, you need to cancel that trip right now. Or better yet, man up and take your wife along with you. Not going to happen if you take your wife, is it? No. Well, then take your wife. Cheapskate. See, occasionally, once a quarter, once every 90 days, rebuke somebody. When you're talking to somebody and they're just saying some just bizarre Stupid stuff. Because we do it. We get these crazy ideas. That's when you rebuke somebody. So you correct people. You rebuke. And then you encourage. Now, correction. It's amazing what people don't know. It's amazing what people need. You know, the Los Angeles Rams. you got a football team again. Yeah. And they're playing right now, which is so weird for me. I'm from the East Coast. But, or maybe they're playing at, at one. I don't know. But Jared Goff, the, the rookie quarterback for the Rams, they ask him, what direction does the sun rise in? He went to Cal Berkeley. He didn't know that the sun rises in the east. Here are these men on the street. What's the governor's name? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't know. You know, just people don't know anything. And people don't know stuff about politics and just general affairs. People really don't know anything about the Bible. People don't understand the Bible at all. You know, if you are visiting with us today, the person that invited you to come, the person that you're sitting next to is a literal Bible expert. Look at him. Look at him. And you look over there and he's like, and you're like, this guy's an expert? That's right. He knows the Bible. He knows where the book of Galatians is, and he can show you the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. One thing I'll say about our church, our people know the Bible. And if you want to learn some things about the Bible, well, this is the place to be, right here. You 
you know, we've got eternity in view. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, view of his appearing in his kingdom, I want you to preach the word. We're talking about eternity here. You know, one day our lives are going to end and we're going to spend eternity with God in heaven or eternity without God. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about Tom Brady recently. Not in a weird way, but, but I have been thinking about Tom Brady because, I, you know, you, you look at somebody like Tom Brady and you're like, wow, what an, what an amazing life this guy has. He's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Won a bunch of Super Bowl trophies. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Great hair. Great teeth. Great smile. Right? Going to get a witness. Amen. He's impossibly handsome. He's just like, you know, it's like, what? That? No. But I mean, he's got money. He's married to a Brazilian supermodel for crying out loud. Giselle Bunchen is his wife. They have two beautiful kids. They have money. He's got an $80 million house in New England. Has a moat around it. This dude is balling. He is balling. He's got a great life. From, all, from all, everything I hear, he's got a great family life. He's a great guy himself. A lot of charity work. Just a great person. But then I've also been thinking a lot about a girl that I used to work with uh, at Publix down in Atlanta, been in the ministry about a year and a half. Before that, I was in a, I was a pharmacist for Publix, and this girl was a, she was my age, but she had some uh, she had some mental challenges. Her name was Marie, and a sweet sweet girl. When I first met her, I thought she was about twenty five, but she was like in her in her fifties. But she had a lot of mental challenges. She had a lot of physical challenges. Um, because I was her pharmacist, I knew what her financial situation was like. I knew what it was like for her at home. Really a difficult, she didn't get the love and support at home that, that anybody without problems needed, much less with the kind of problems she had. And, you know, you think about Tom Brady and what an amazing life this guy has. And then you think about Marie. And you think, what a difficult, hard life she has. And the only thing that came to me was, God, what's your problem? You know, God, how, that's not fair. And I think, you know, we want our God to be fair, right? If nothing else, we want a fair God. How is that fair? Tom Brady didn't do anything to be born in that body. He's just a Tom Brady. She's just Marie. God, what's your problem? How does that make sense at all? And the only way that, I, that it can make sense to me is if I, I think about the passage in John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus says, the words I speak to you are spirit and their life. The Spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing. Flesh counts for nothing. And see, one day in the not-too-distant future, Tom Brady is going to die. And he's going to unzip. And he's going to take off that wonderful hair and that beautiful smile. And he's going to take off that incredible wealth that he has. And he's going to take off that esteem that he has. And he's going to take off that supermodel wife that he has. And this amazing, charmed existence that he has on this earth. He's going to take it off. And you know what's going to left behind? An awesome soul. Bright, shining as the sun. He's going to take that flesh off. And it's just going to be like, whoa, this guy is awesome. 
amazing. It's bright and it's shining. It's a human soul that's going back to God. You know, in the not-too-distant future, Marie is also, she's going to unzip. And she's going to take off the physical problems. She's going to take off that mental confusion and difficulty. She's going to take off the psoriasis. She's going to take it all off. She's going to take off the loneliness and the despair and the pain. And you know what's going to be left? An awesome soul, bright shining as the sun. See, the flesh counts for nothing. Tom Brady's got a great life, no questioning. Better life than her, sure. But if all the flesh counts for nothing, he's got a great life here. But, you know, when he gets to heaven, Lord willing, he'll get there. I'm not here to judge that. But if Tom Brady gets to heaven, you think he's going to be bragging about the moat? Guys, hey, I had a moat. I was married to a supermodel from Brazil. He's not going to be doing that. It's going to be, that's just in the, that's light and momentary. I don't even remember what, what, what earth was like. Super Bowl, what's that? Okay? You see, the flesh counts for nothing. That's why it's our great joy, it's our job to preach the word. Even though it's hard. Everybody you meet in different places. Preach the word so that people can be with God for an eternity in heaven. Because God is wonderful. God is great. I used to go fishing when I was a kid and go down and you'd get a box of, of earthworms. You ever do that? Yeah. Nope. No, I never did that. But we would. We'd go in and, and it would be like dirt and there'd be a whole bunch of earthworms in there. And it's like I'm sure that some of the earthworms in there were like better looking than the other earthworms. But it was really hard for me to pick out the rock star earthworm. It's just like, it's just worms. And see, what is man that you care for him? We are just worms. God loves us, though, and that's what gives us value. That's what gives us great strength. We're going to be taking the, uh, the bread and the wine for communion now, and I'd like to lead us in a prayer as we really try to center our minds in on the amazing sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Uh, Christmas is about Jesus, and it's about his birth. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your love. Thank you for this time to be together here today. We love you very much. We are very thankful that you love us back, God, and Lord, we all have varying degrees of comfort and pleasure and gifts and talents and, and attributes in our life. But, Father, one day we're all, we're all going to unzip and we're going to take off the flesh. And the flesh counts for nothing, thank God. And we're going to put on that righteousness from you that comes only through knowing Christ. Thanks so much for us now, God, as the, uh, as the bread and the wine is passed. Father, I pray that it will be a time that we can reflect on you and everything you've done. Father, help us to... Put away the gifts that we're going to be giving and the trips we're going to be taking and the trees and all the stuff and really focus in on Jesus. We love you. We pray in his name. Amen.